Yo, it's Tim Malcolm, the host of the Phillies Nation podcast and the editorial director of philliesnation.com. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, episode number 28. We have a lot to get through this week. We haven't recorded in a few weeks. I was away, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit, but a lot to get through. In fact, we haven't recorded uh, since the death of Roy Halladay, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and sort of what happened in the wake of the news and how uh, our Phillies Nation family sort of reacted to it. Then we're going to talk about the new coaching staff in Philadelphia. Gabe Kapler has made a couple changes, of course. We have a hitting coach. We might have a pitching coach. We might have a bench coach. We don't know that yet, but certainly some new names that are now going to be part of the Phillies organization at the major league level. And the offseason is now underway, and there are some important dates coming. For one, the 40-man roster has to be set before the Rule 5 draft coming up, and that's actually tonight. So we'll tell you about who might be put on the 40-man roster between now and 8 p.m. And a lot of rumors. Are the Phillies going to actually go in on Giancarlo Stanton? Are they maybe interested in Carlos Santana? Not the guy who plays guitar and played with Rob Thomas in the song Smooth. We'll have a lot to talk about. Changes in the offseason, who might be coming in, who might be going out, all of that good stuff coming up on the Phillies Nation podcast. Let's go. Yo, Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. Again, episode number 28. I'm Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com. In the intro, I forgot to say that, hey, you should go to philliesnation.com. philliesnation.com, that's our website name, for all of your news, information, opinion, rumors, and more about the Philadelphia Phillies. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. And we're on Twitter at philliesnation and Instagram at philliesnation underscore. We're going to have a lot happening on Twitter, especially over the next couple of weeks with the winter meetings coming up at the beginning of December. More on that coming uh, maybe in the next episode of the podcast. Also, the Phillies Nation podcast is available wherever you find podcasts in the United States of America. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube.com slash Phillies Nation. Find it today. It is out there. You can also get our other podcasts, our associated brother podcast, Playing the Rube, also with the Phillies Nation podcast. So, here we are. It's been a long couple weeks, and we haven't recorded, actually, since Gabe Kapler was named manager of the Phillies. A lot to talk about. Um, So, I'll start with where I was. I was actually away for the last two weeks. I am a writer. Uh, It's one thing that I do. It's part of my job. And so, I'm writing a book uh, that is coming out in 2019, And, um, it's a travel book. So that's one of my, that's kind of my major profession in life is I'm a travel writer and the travel book is going to be on the Appalachian trail. I don't know if you know anything about the Appalachian trail, but if you do, or if you don't, I should say, um, you should really look into it. It's really amazing. It's a 2000 plus mile long trail that stretches from the sort of center of Maine, I should say, to about the center of Georgia, uh, two mountains, one to the other from Maine to Georgia. And people hike the trail every year, you know, for a minute, for an hour, for a couple hours, up until for the whole thing. So there are people who actually do the entire trail in one continuous walk. Of course, they stop at night to sleep and they, 
you know, get food and stuff. But people actually do through hikes, which is you start in Georgia typically because you want to start in the south and you go all the way up to Maine and you do the 2,000 plus miles by yourself or with somebody or whatever and you're just walking it and it usually takes about six to seven months for someone to do it it's amazing but people go to the at all the time and it's just a walking trail that anyone can do at any time you know any section so my job is i drove basically the length of more than half the trail and went to all the towns and cities that are near and on the trail to talk to people about what they do and the places to eat, the places to stay, um, you know, places to have fun, recreation, all of that stuff. And that'll be part of a big, big, big travel book that comes out in 2019. And it's just me doing it. Uh, I have a publisher, obviously. And uh, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be amazing. I'm actually writing it right now. My first chapter has been in. So there's a lot of work to do with that. But what it means is that I am away for sometimes uh, – more than a day, more than two days. And this was the big two week trip that I had to take down South. And I went all the way down to Atlanta and back, uh, just a few weeks ago. And so I started the trip in Pennsylvania. Actually, I live in New York now, but I started in Pennsylvania at the Delaware water gap. And I started driving South toward Maryland and I got to Maryland on November 7th. And I was walking around in Maryland doing my thing, driving, walking, driving, walking, talking to people, all that stuff, hiking a little bit. And then finally in the evening, I got out of my car to go somewhere else and I looked at my email and I saw an email from the Phillies. And, you know, you get I get emails from the Phillies like every day. We all do if we sign up to the Phillies newsletter and all that stuff. You know, we get MLB shop, you know, uh, uh, calls and stuff like that. But I looked at the email and it said, Phillies make statement on Halliday. And the like, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, he's going to be the pitching coach? Like I didn't think they were ready to make that decision. They had just named Gabe Kapler manager, you know, about five days ago or so, or he had this press conference five days ago. But here, here we are and the Phillies are about to, you know, name their pitching coach. And what do you know, Roy Halliday, that's amazing. That's an incredible thing, you know, even though in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way they would hire Roy Halladay. He's not experienced yet in a major league clubhouse to be a pitching coach. Um, you know, he's probably not at that place in his life. He wants to be with his kids, et cetera, et cetera. It felt like an out of left field thing that was really cool. And um, so I, I opened the email and I was waiting for the message to load. And I was in, you know, this random outdoor place in Maryland. So the phone was taking a little longer to load up, but finally the message loaded and the picture showed it was the picture of Halliday in the dugout sort of looking, you know, half happy, half somber. And almost immediately I just stopped and my heart just like thumped. And then the message loaded itself and then it said, you know, Philly's more in the death of Roy Halliday or whatever it said. And, you know, I, I just really quick grazed over the words and I saw, you know, mourn the tragic death was in there or something. And I just like, you know, I, I had that sort of, you don't know how you're supposed to react kind of feeling like what? Like, 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 you know, I, this is real. This is a thing. This is, huh? Who? How did, what? So immediately I called, uh, Brian Michael, who's the founder of Phillies nation and guy who runs the site, obviously. And, um, we needed to get something up and we need to talk about this. Like what the heck is going on? You know, when did this happen? Why that's information. Um, and I called him and immediately I was just like, Roy Halliday's dead. 
And he was like, yeah, you know, this, it just happened. Like we just found out the news was kind of trickling out and finally, you know, officially announced a few, few minutes ago, um, uh, plane crash, uh, Gulf of Mexico. And, um, you know, it was like, oh my God, what? Like, you know, and then finally, you know, the conversation turned to, well, we need to get something on the website. We need to tell people who don't know, um, if it's official, it's out there. We got to tell people. And then it was just like, What? So I called my dad, which is obviously the next thing I do. Let's call my dad because I want to know if he knows. And, you know, I need to, like, talk to somebody who's who's been a Phillies fan as long as I have. You know, I've, I've been a Phillies fan for now 33 years, and I need to, need to, like, have somebody on the other line with me who has been a fan for at least 33 years, and my dad has certainly been that person. So I call him, and he's he knew. My brother told him or what have you uh, just a few minutes before that. So, um, you know, he was like, wow. I, I can't believe it. It's crazy, Tim. It's crazy. And he, my dad was a fan, you know, he really grew up with the 1976 to 1983 team, you know, as the, that, that was his, he was in college and a young 20 something during that run. So he really relates to Mike Schmidt and Larry Boa and Greg Luzinski and Steve Carlton and all those guys. So this sort of thing, it's a little bit removed from him, but he's still a major league Phillies fan, so he clearly is affected by it too, but he knew that I would be more affected by it because I grew up with this Chase Utley, Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins team, and Halliday was a part of that, and the sim- the symbolism of Halliday was, we all know this now, people have talked about this, but when you're a Phillies fan, you grow up basically knowing that your baseball team is not that good, right? And if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, again, you kind of grow up knowing that your teams are not that good. And when I mean not that good, I mean they don't win championships regularly. You know, we don't have the Yankees in this city. We don't have the Montreal Canadiens in this city. We don't have the Lakers in this city or the Celtics in this city. We don't have Manchester United in this city. We have four sports teams who generally do not win often, you know, the Eagles have not won a Super Bowl in more than 50 years. The Flyers haven't won a Stanley Cup in more than 40 years. The Sixers' last title was in 1983, and we have gone through one of the worst stretches in basketball history, knowingly wanting to get to the place where we're at now in Philadelphia with the Sixers, but we still had to get through it. And the Phillies won one world championship up until 2008 in over 100 years of existence. Like, it's, we know that our teams stink. That's, we carry it around like a badge of honor. And when people go at us in front of us, we, you know, slam back at them. We're Philadelphians. Screw you. We don't care. Our teams are awesome to us because we're Philadelphians. So Roy Halladay symbolized the Phillies were already good when he came. But he made them better. And not only did he make them better, but he made them the best, right? 2008, we win the World Championship. 2009, we lost in a heartbreaking World Series to the Yankees. Yankees were a really good team that year. But the Phillies were right there with them. I would look back at that age and say, man, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Phillies, those were the class of Major League Baseball in 2009 and 10. That were, those were the teams that everybody knew were going to be there at the end. We never felt that as Phillies fans. At least those of us who are under the age of, you know, say 40, who didn't really grow up with the 1980 Phillies or any of those teams. I was born in 1984. I have no recollection of anything 
of that era. I mean, I was born just after the Phillies made the World Series in 83, so I don't know. So this is this was amazing. This was like, oh my God, we have a guy who wants to be here and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the ace of the staff. He's going to make us that much better and that much more fearsome in the eyes of every other team in Major League Baseball. I went to the first game, opening day 2010. They went to play the Washington Nationals in, in Nationals Park. And I went with a bunch of buddies and Phillies Nation actually had a bus trip down there. I believe we had a bunch of people go down. Halliday was remarkable. He threw seven innings, I believe, and he gave up, what, a run? Um, he was just essentially quintessential Roy Halliday. And the Phillies battered the Nationals that day. Placido Polanco hit a grand slam in that one. The Phillies scored early, and then Polanco hit the grand slam later. I just, and you just knew. You just knew. Oh, my God. We've not seen this before in Philadelphia. A team that is just going to step-by-step step, go through the motions of the season knowing that they're going to win and get to the playoffs. And they did that. 2010 was the first time that the Phillies didn't actually have to worry about the Mets late in the season. And they didn't have to overcome any like big disadvantages. They just won the division. 2011, they took it a step further and put together one of the best seasons we've ever seen in sports in Philadelphia. Not only that, but the Phillies pitching staff that year is arguably the greatest pitching staff of the modern age of baseball. Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswalt, Joe Blanton, and then later, of course, Vance Worley. Those guys were arguably the best pitching staff that baseball has seen since at least expansion. And we had it. We had it for a year. We had a, one season, we had it. And then in the most poetic Philadelphian way, everything crashed. That last day of the 2011 season when they played the Cardinals in the Game 5 of the NLDS, that was it. Halliday gave everything. I read something from somebody over the past couple days about how it seemed as if on that day, Roy Halliday gave everything he had left against the Cardinals and Chris Carpenter. And it just so happens that Carpenter was just slightly better. And the Cardinals scored the run in the first inning. That was also the same game that Ryan Howard collapsed his Achilles tearing at the very last play of the game. It's so symbolic, right? That's the most symbolic thing that we've known as Phillies fans. The end of that era, like it didn't happen in a slow burn. We didn't get like a we didn't get a fun playoff run in 2013 out of nowhere. We got Boom, Ryan Howard down. Roy Halladay, no more going to be elite. And then we got in 2012, this broken team that, yeah, they flirted a little bit, but they finished at 500 and they were never going to make the playoffs. And then the next year they were much worse. And then the next year they were much worse. And then the next year they were as bad as they could be. And now a couple years after that, here they are, a better team. And we're getting excited for 2018. But Roy Halladay was just our chance to grasp at some sort of legacy that we've never had before as Phillies fans. And while it didn't work out as much as we wanted it to, we still got an amazing run of success. I got to see, it seems like I saw like seven or eight Halliday starts during his time in Philadelphia. At least I saw one, I saw the first one. I saw a game against the Marlins in 10. I saw him face off against the Rangers in 2011 when the Rangers were the best team in the American League. And that was a great matchup that we won. Uh, I saw a bunch of Halliday starts. 
but we got the perfect game in 2010 against the Marlins. I was at the Princeton and Avalon watching uh, the Flyers game one of the Stanley Cup finals, but more interested in the Phillies game because that's just who I am. I'm not as much a Flyers fan, but I was really into that game, and I called my dad after the third inning, and I said, Dad, you kind of want to watch the Phillies game a little bit. How he's doing something here? He looks different tonight. He looks better than ever. And it turned out that he was. He threw a perfect game. One of 17 at the time. Then, of course, the playoff no-hitter. That's unbelievable. We we went into that game thinking, oh, my God, Roy Halladay's first playoff start. As long as it gives us a quality start, get through this game, we'll beat the Reds, you know, we can get to game two. He was untouchable. One bad ball he threw to Jay Bruce. Otherwise, absolutely perfect. A playoff no-hitter, that is so hard to do. It's unbelievable that he did that, even to this day. Is anyone going to do that again? Probably. But it's hard to imagine in that kind of environment, in his first ever postseason start, that he could do something like that. And that's how good he was. So he gave us a lot. He gave us a lot. And so the fact that he retired at, what, age 36? You know, that's young, it's old in baseball a lot of ways, but it's young. It's so young. And two kids was ready to take on life in his own way. I think he was a Hall of Famer regardless of anything. I thought he was a Hall of Famer after the playoff no-hitter. I think that stands, and I think he'll get in. And definitely I think he should go in as a Blue Jay. I don't think there's any debate about it. But we were excited to see Halliday kind of continue on and living as Roy Halliday. Happy-go-lucky, fun-loving guy who clearly took everything seriously, but not seriously. Loved his kids, loved coaching his kids. Wanted to be around baseball, but wanted to take a little bit of time off. Maybe one day he would be the Phillies pitching coach. (laughs) Who knows? But either way, he was still part of our lives. He was in Clearwater helping out the the players at spring training. He was working heavily with guys like Nick Pavetta and helping them to be better pitchers. That stuff is invaluable, and we were really excited to see what kind of teaching he would pass on to Phillies pitchers. And then you saw in the wake of everything, man, all the players that came out and said, you know, he taught me this, he taught me that, or I was inspired by him, or he influenced me, or he was, you know, the one guy I looked up to, I wanted to be like Roy Halladay, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's incredible how many people in baseball just took a moment to stop and go, I can't believe it, this guy meant so much to me in this way or that way. You know, players are going to think of him in a certain way and executives are going to think of him in a certain way and and media is going to think of him in a certain way. We as fans, we don't get that up close and personal interaction with someone like Roy Halladay, but we did feel like that we had a piece of that, right? We felt like we had a piece of him being such a good person and helping with people. I still to this day am like, it amazes me when he actually went to the zoo with zoo, zoo with Roy, uh, for those who don't know the story, and you probably do if you listen to this podcast, Zoo with Roy, uh, I wanted to go to the zoo with Roy Halliday. It was a blog that happened around 2010, I believe, when Halliday came up with the Phillies, um, or or signed with, or was traded to the Phillies. And Zoo with Roy, his whole goal was to 
go to the zoo with Roy Halliday. And it was completely based out of nothing. There was no literature about Roy Halliday being a, a, a zoophile, right? There was nothing about him wanting to be around animals all the time. But Zoo with Roy, this guy who made the blog, just decided this is what my mission is going to be. I'm going to find a way to go to the zoo with Roy Halliday. <laughs> And he made all these like paint drawings, MS paint drawings that were hilarious. And in the height of Philly's blog, you know, euphoria, um, I famously made a bracket called The Field back in 2011. I don't know if you remember that or maybe it was 2010. Either way, when the Fightins were doing this and we were doing this and The Good Fight was doing that, uh, Zoo with Roy was right at the top doing all these ridiculous funny things. And it just so happened that finally, after Roy retired, Roy actually said yes to going to the zoo with Zoo with Roy. <laughs> and it wasn't like it was a, like it just came out of nowhere. And then you saw pictures of, of Roy with the guy and holding a penguin, which is the mascot for the blog. It's just ridiculous. And it is yet so amazing. And that's kind of what we, I think as fans grasp onto and are so, we're so sad about it. And when I found the news out, I was really sad about it. I had to write something. I, I cried a little bit like, you don't want to ever lose, I don't want to say hero, but I, but you don't want to lose someone that you looked up to in some way or you you know, idolize in some way or emulate in some way. That's what he was. And all of us fans, I think, took that really hard because he was, I think, the best possible of a lot of things that we wanted. You know, as people, as maybe fathers or husbands, I don't know, um, as people who want the best out of life and want to work the hardest and want to do the best in our professions. Halliday symbolized that in so many ways. He was bad at his job to start his career. Then he found the teaching that was necessary and he was able to put the work in and he, and he didn't stop and he never stopped and he became incredible because he just put the effort into it and he, and he learned. And we, I think, I think we totally you know, look up to that. And when we got it as Phillies fans, it was like, Oh my God, we had this, this is amazing. And he actually paid off and was not only the best pitcher in the game for those two years, those first two years, but he was a great person. He was, you know, a, a great competitor, a great teammate, someone that everybody looked up to, et cetera, et cetera. And then he went to the zoo with the guy who made the blog about him. Like he's an amazing, he was a great person. He actually did these things for people. And he gave a lot back to schools and he, and he gave a lot back to organizations and he coached teams and all of that stuff. It's, it's tough when you lose someone like that in the world, especially when they're 40 years old. And that's insane. Like I'm, he, I'm only seven years younger than him. You know, we're nearly contemporaries. And uh, when you lose someone that young, it's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. So it was really tough. At least the first couple of days, it was it was tough to think about. The first day, I was kind of numb thinking about it. I was like, I can't work right now. This is really weird. And then, it, you know, obviously sort of cleared up a little bit. And we all kind of get through and we get past and we start to think about life itself. And we move on. But in the wake of all of it, it was amazing to see all the people, fans, players, media, team, whoever it was, just come out on Twitter and everywhere else and say, you know, Roy Halliday meant this to me. And it's going to be a tough loss, but you know, it's, it's at least we have each other and, and we did, you know, all of us fans, we were able to go on Twitter and at least talk about Roy or at least like sort of 
talk to each other about mourning and loss and what it means when you, you know, you lose someone that you looked up to in some way. So, um, it was tough and it's going to be tough. And, and, and look, it's, you know, for Brandy, his wife and for his kids, it's the toughest. And that's the most important thing. And it will always be, um, you can't replace it. Um, for us, you can kind of replace it in a lot of ways, but for them, it's, you can't replace it. So, um, that's going to be the tough thing, but I think I know as fans, as as a community, as Phillies fans, you know we're gonna do what we can to rally around that family whenever they're around or in town or you know doing something, and we're gonna rally around each other whenever there's any sort of sadness in our lives because that's what we do. We we look out for each other, we have this shared bond, and we try to use that for good as much as possible. And so whenever there's anything sad in your life or anything tragic in your life. Always know that you know we're we're all here as Phillies fans, as a community, because we do have that shared interest and shared bond with you. And I'm talking just about anything in general uh, to any of you listeners out there. If you're going through something, you know you can always tweet people on Twitter. You can always sort of you know look for a Phillies Nation on Twitter or, or any any Phillies fan on Twitter. I mean, I mean, there's so many great Phillies fans on Twitter who will talk about their personal lives and or we'll just talk about the Phillies with you. And and we're good for that. So. Um, I think, you know, as sad as it was and it's going to be to have a, have life without someone so bright and so shining as reality, at the same time, I think it's good to know and remember that at the end of the day, we always have each other. And that is really what is going to push us through in this world. After the hiring of Gabe Kapler as manager of the Phillies, the Phillies did make a couple coaching hirings as well, although we don't know exactly who's doing what yet. We do have a couple things that we know. John Maley was hired as the hitting coach on November 9th. Maley was the hitting coach of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, in 2016, he won the world championship with the Cubs. So, hey, it's good to have someone with a world championship pedigree. Also, that Cubs offense was pretty prodigious, so sounds like a good hiring. Also, Dusty Wathen will be part of the coaching staff of 2018. Wathen was the manager of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs last year. They had a very good season. And before that, he had a number of years with the Reading uh, Fighting Phils. I interviewed uh, Mike Drago of the Reading Eagle a couple of weeks back on the podcast about Wathen. So you should listen to that. It's a really good look at who Wathen is. And hey, he could still have a pretty important part on the Phillies coaching staff next year. Uh, it's possible that he could be the bench coach. What we do know right now is that he will be the third base coach for sure. So maybe bench coach will go along with that. Maybe not, but we'll see. Wathen, at the very least, will be part of the coaching staff, which is a good thing to know. Uh, and it's a good sign because the Phillies, I think, wanted to have Wathen as part of that staff. And I think he deserved to be part of the staff as well and should be a manager someday in the major leagues. Also, Rick Kranitz, who was the assistant pitching coach of the Phillies, is uh, back on staff for 2018. Possible that he could be the new pitching coach for the Phillies, but it's also possible that they are still looking to find someone to be the head honcho there. We don't know. We will find out sooner than later. Um, and then finally, on November 18th, it was announced that Jim Gott is going to be the new bullpen coach for the Phillies. Gott is a former Major League pitcher, had a number of years of success uh, for the Dodgers and the Giants and a couple other teams. Uh, Gott also apparently is a karate master. Uh, you should find Matt Gelb's tweets on Twitter about Jim Gott being on the cover of some karate magazines and self-defense magazines. It's pretty awesome, actually. Um 
There's also some videos about Jim Gott on YouTube, really interesting stuff. So one, there's one about him uh, supporting troops and supporting, you know, uh, honoring veterans. And then there's another one about him. Um, he's a he, his son, at least one of his sons has autism, and he created a, I guess you would call it some sort of an organization or or a, or a nonprofit or or just a fundraiser. I'm not sure what it was to uh, benefit people with autism and to uh, raise the awareness and advocacy of autism. And, you know, the spectrum itself, there's been a lot of a lot of developments in the past 15 to 20 years on the autism spectrum and all the good things, you know, that we now know about it and, you know, all the information that we have has really changed how we look at people with autism in such a great way. Uh, but there's still so much more to learn. So God being part of that is really cool. And you should check it out on YouTube. Just look up Jim God on YouTube and you can find all that stuff. Um, but the karate stuff, man, go look that up because Matt Gelb uh, tweeted that out and it's pretty funny. I just love the fact that already now we have a coaching staff of a bunch of guys who are like – insane uber uh intense guys who work out a lot and love karate <laughs> like, like like i feel like this coaching staff is going to be wearing zubaz in like two weeks or something like 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 spring training they're all going to arrive in clearwater wearing like cut off shirts and, and zubaz pants and they, they're basically going to look like uh uh i forget the name of the actor but the the karate teacher in napoleon dynamite uh, ah, i forget the name of the actor he was in the drew carey show Anyways, um, that guy, you know, the, the karate master in the pony dynamite, just basically a bunch of guys who look like that and talk like that. That's the new coaching staff for the Phillies. I don't know if that's the best thing in the world, but we'll see what happens in 2018. It's going to be an interesting year for sure. Oh, we're almost at Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Uh, if you're wondering, I'll be at the Tiffany Diner on Thanksgiving morning in advance of the Central versus Northeast football game. Go Central, beat Northeast. Anyway, um, the offseason is not really crazy yet. It's kind of weird. I feel like right before Thanksgiving, we get a lot of moves, and we haven't seen anything yet. Maybe it's because there have been a lot of managerial changes. I'm not sure, but nothing crazy yet in the offseason. We do have some deadline days coming up, which are important, and that might kickstart some things. So, in fact, today at 8 p.m., is the deadline for the 40-man roster to be set. And what that means is, so the Rule 5 draft is coming up at the end of the winter meetings. Winter meetings are in December. And the Rule 5 draft is when players that are in the minor leagues who have accrued a certain amount of time in the minor leagues and have not been put on the 40-man roster are allowed to be plucked by another team. Just if they want them, they can pluck them. And if they keep them on the roster the entire year, their 25-man roster, their major league roster, then they can hold on to them forever. But if they don't do that, they either have to give them back to the team that they were originally on or they have to sort of work out a trade or a way to pay that guy through the team. So basically, for example, Hobie Milner, Phillies left-handed reliever who was on the team this past year, Last year, the Phillies did not put him on the 40-man roster in November when the deadline hit. They left him unprotected. What happened, though, was that in the Rule 5 draft, the Cleveland Indians decided to take Hobie Milner from the Phillies. But the Indians didn't want to hold on to Milner after spring training, so they brought him back to Philadelphia. Now, they could have worked out a trade with the Phillies where the Phillies got something for Milner from the Indians, but at the end of the day, the Indians were like, nah, we don't need him. Here you go. He's back in your he's back in your organization. 
the Phillies then put Milner back in the organization, let him play in Lehigh Valley, and then he found his way back into Philadelphia for the first time in Philadelphia, where he had a pretty decent uh, late part of 2017. And now he's on the 40-man roster. What do you know? So that's how it works. The Phillies have to put minor leaguers on the 40-man roster who need to be put on the 40-man roster. If not, they will be left unprotected, and any team can pick that guy in the Rule 5 draft. Now, a lot of these players that the Phillies will leave unprotected will not get selected in the Rule 5 draft. Basically, there's a pot of like dozens upon hundreds of guys who are unprotected, and they are free to go anywhere in the Rule 5. But a team who's picking in the Rule 5 needs to think about, is this guy going to be on my roster the whole season? Am I going to put him in the major leagues for the entire year and use up a spot on my roster for this guy? Is he that necessary? So, a lot of the minor league filler guys and backups and sort of light-hitting players and bad fielding players in AAA and AA, they're never going to be picked. They don't need to be protected. And there's a lot of players like that in every organization. There are a couple players, however, who are more interesting. One name, for example, is Andrew Pullen. Pullen is an outfielder who was in Reading to start last year. Very good start in Reading. He was hitting the ball prodigiously, like a 350 average, good slugging percentage, home runs, all that jazz. Midway through the season, the Phillies brought him up to Lehigh Valley. He struggled, did not really get himself going, had a tough go of it in Lehigh Valley. But now he's at the point where he has to either be put on the 40-man roster or be unprotected, and the Phillies run the risk of losing Stassi. Stassi. Phillies run the risk of losing Pullen to another team. Chances are a team probably won't pick Andrew Pullen. Now, why? Pullen's got a, he's a good hitter. He's maybe a top 30 prospect on some teams. Maybe a team would want to take a flyer on him as a fifth outfielder and see if he can hit some home runs for you, right? Well, Andrew Pullen hasn't really shown himself to be a good hitter in the league, in a Triple A. So unless unless he's like like got like forty home run power and it just didn't show up yet, a team's probably not going to want to risk that. They don't want to try to spend the money and keeping him on the roster and use up a spot. So chances are Pullen won't be won't have to go anywhere. Chances are the Phillies don't have to protect him. Here's a name that might be protected though: Carlos Tochi. Tochi is not a hitter like Pullen. He is a hitter, though, who hit over 300 for Reading last year, but he also has good speed, and he's a really, really, really good fielder. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, the, the PR guy at, at Reading last year, um, whose name escapes me for the second, uh, which is a shame because he's a good guy, but uh, he, he mentioned to me that Carlos Tochi might be the best defensive outfielder he's seen in years. Mike Ventola is his name. Mike Ventola told me that Carlos Tochi might be the best defensive outfielder that he's seen in years. So a team might be interested in Tochi as their fifth outfielder because he could play all the outfield positions at a very high level. He's got some speed. He can hit the ball out of the infield. He's kind of a slap hitter, but he's a pretty good one at that. And he did add some line drive power to his arsenal last year. So there is a budding four-tool player there, but at the very least a fourth or fifth outfielder who might be able to hack at the major leagues next year. So a team that needs some outfield depth might actually look at Tochi and go, hey, he might be good enough for us this year. We'll take him in the Rule 5. So it will be up to the Phillies to determine whether he's worth protecting. If I'm the Phillies, I'm looking at this situation and saying, well, I got a bunch of outfielders here who haven't really demonstrated yet at the, at the AAA level, let alone the major leagues, that they belong. Dylan Cousins, 
Doesn't have good plate recognition. Can't hit lefties. Not quite sure. Roman Quinn can't stay healthy. Not only that, but he was released from his Dominican Winter League team this year. That's not a good sign. Cameron Perkins didn't show it at the major league level. Probably not a major leaguer at the end of the day. The Phillies might want to cut bait with him. So now you have in the outfield not a lot of depth. You have, yes, Nick Williams, Aaron Altera, Nodubo Herrera. But beyond that, what do you have? Not a lot. So maybe Carlos Tochi is necessary to be protected now. And I would be surprised if the Phillies don't protect Tochi. He demonstrated in 2017 with the Fighting Phillies and with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, he was decent with the Iron Pigs. Not great, but he's decent. He demonstrated that he does belong on a 40-man roster. So hopefully the Phillies do protect him. We'll see what happens there. Other names, Sir Anthony Dominguez, who is a pitcher uh, who's uh, got great stuff, and he had a very good season last year. I think with Clearwater and Redding, uh, he looks like he's ready to go. Franklin Colome, uh, he's, again, very, very highly talented pitcher. Before Sixto Sanchez, he was the best pitcher in the system, uh, according to a lot of people. He ended the year in Redding, looks to be ready to go as well. He's got great stuff, still needs some work, but a team might actually be interested in Colome because they want to say, hey, let's give you a shot and see if you can make a fifth starter spot out of spring training. He's, what, 23 years old? He's old enough to make the major leagues. Uh, why not? Um, and then the other name is Ranger Suarez, who kind of came out of nowhere last year and had a superb 2017 season. The Phillies need to protect him as well if they want to hold on to him. He's now going to be a top, basically, 15 prospect in the system. So it's worth it for the Phillies to protect him. Because they'll protect at least three guys, potentially four, five, or six. There's a couple other guys, Jose Tavares, uh, Brendan Liebrandt might be protected, Austin Davis. Because there are at least four or five guys who probably will protect be protected, the Phillies are going to need to make some decisions on the 40-man roster currently. Right now, there's only two open spots. They'll probably need to open up three or four more. Who goes? The most likely names, Zach Curtis, pitcher who they picked up off of waivers at the end of last season. Doesn't really have much of a future with the Phillies. Uh, he probably might be on the block. Uh, another one is Elizardo Alvarez. Uh, I think I got the name wrong there. Um, not looking at the sheet right now, but Alvarez was the guy who the Phillies got in the trade with the Cardinals. Remember the old Juan Nicasio trade uh, after the Phillies picked up Nicasio uh, for a song on waivers. Well, now uh, Alvarez might be the odd man out in the roster just because they need to make some moves. Another name, Jesmel Valentin, who a lot of people thought, ooh, this guy might be the utility bat of the future for the Phillies. Well, Valentin was hurt all of last year, and they might need to move on from him. They might need to go somewhere else. So that's a name to look out for. One more name that the Phillies might be actually dropping from the 40-man, I don't know if they will, but this is an interesting one, Roman Quinn. He hasn't been healthy. Yes, he had that wonderful little spark in 2016 at the end of the year, but he didn't stay healthy last year. He was hurt almost, what, 90% of the year? Do the Phillies want to hone on and hedge their bets with him? We'll see. But the Phillies do have some decisions to make. Finally, I want to go through some of the crazy rumors that are being addressed right now in baseball that include the Phillies. Of course, there's the big rumor of Giancarlo Stanton. He probably will be traded this year. It seems like it's likely that the Marlins are going to want to trade him in the offseason. And the teams that have been most interested, it seems, are the Giants, the Cardinals, and now the Red Sox and the Phillies. Now, it seems as if the Giants and the Cardinals are the biggest suitors at this point, although the Red Sox have been talked about with a little bit of, uh, of uh, interest lately. The Phillies seem to be a little bit more on the back burner. I'd rather them not be on a burner at all. Here's the thing. Stanton's getting... 
a lot of money over the next 10 seasons. Uh, he does have the opt-out, which you do risk. But at the same time, it could be a good risk for the Phillies if they want out and he opts out as well. But Stan feels like the kind of guy that when you have a team that has already demonstrated that you're close to the postseason, but you need that one bat to get you through, that's where Stan comes in. I don't know if the Phillies are at the point yet where they want to add a big bat that is a sure thing that is going to solidify the middle of the lineup. It sounds great, yes. But look, as much as we went gaga over Reese Hoskins last year, and I think he's going to be pretty darn good, we still don't know for sure what kind of major league player he is. Remember, he only had 50 games at the major leagues last year. So we need a little bit more of a sample from him to see what kind of player he is. I think he's going to be very good, but we still don't have all the information that we want. Same thing with J.P. Crawford. Same thing with even Nick Williams, who has even more games than Reese Hoskins. Even Aaron Altair, he's been hurt a lot. And we don't know quite yet if he is really a 5 tool player capable of being a top 20 outfielder in baseball. He, com- he sometimes looks that way, but again, not quite sure. Moreover, the Phillies don't have any pitching. And that's really the focus of the Phillies offseason. It has to be. It's getting at least one more starter who can be with Aaron Nola and at least one more starter who can be sort of in the middle or back end of the rotation. I think Giancarlo Stanton is more like need number eight right now on the list of the top ten things the Phillies need. A big-time slugger who's going to solidify the middle of the lineup is not really worth it until you have guys around him who you know are going to help as well. So I think the Phillies should be out on Giancarlo Stanton. Should they look at other power bats? Sure, why not? But if it means two to three hundred million and ten years for a guy who you're going to have to lock in a lot of salary on, even though the Phillies have a lot of money right now, it might not be worth it. I think the Phillies should wait one more year, see what they have in some of the young guys, and then they can pounce on someone like Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. That's when they make their move. The other rumor is just recently of the past day that the Phillies are interested in Carlos Santana, the first baseman and designated hitter of the Cleveland Indians. And Santana's pretty decent. He had like a 255 average last year. He's got a good on-base percentage, 350, 360, and his slugging percentage is in the 440s. That's pretty good. Uh, he's got 23 home runs last year. Good hitter, right? He can pop some home runs. He gets on base at a good clip. You know, not the fastest guy in the world, not the greatest glove in the world, but he will do just fine. Well, wait a second. Don't we have a first base log jam already? Don't we have to get rid of Tommy Joseph? And are we going to move Reese Hoskins back to left field? Is he not going to play first base next year? Well, here's the thing. If Carlos Santana is really of interest to the Phillies, that must mean that they're thinking three steps ahead and wondering what they're going to get for an outfielder like Odubel Herrera or Nick Williams or an Aaron Aaron Altair. Maybe they're looking to dangle one of those guys for pitching. Maybe two of those guys for pitching. If that's the case, then yeah, Reese Hoskins would have to move back to left field, and then you'd have a first base opening, but you still have to move Tommy Joseph. There's a lot of hoops to jump through for the Phillies to actually make first base open for someone like Carlos Santana. I don't think this is really a thing right now. Maybe the Phillies are just calling the Indians to see what it takes, or calling the Indians, calling Carlos Santana's agent to see what it will take to get him in free agency. Otherwise, there's really not much here. More likely, Carlos Santana's agent is trying to bump up his client's value in the offseason because, look, if you're trying to get your guy more money than maybe he deserves because he's a first baseman DH only guy in the American League, 
Maybe you're going to try to get some teams interested early on. Maybe that one call that the Phillies gave you is enough for the agent to go, Phillies are interested. So are the Red Sox who called in about him as well. Who wants him? It's going to take a lot of money to get him. Don't believe everything you hear. The Carlos Santana thing is probably more rumor, even more projection, than it is actual news. At the end of the day, though, the Phillies might be in on a bat, someone like a Carlos Santana, but that person will probably have more of an outfield flexibility, maybe even be more of a six or seven position guy. In fact, Matt Klintak had talked about a couple days ago wanting someone who plays multiple positions. That might be the new you know, value in baseball, and the Phillies should be pouncing at it. Don't believe everything you hear. But at least be entertained by the rumors. They're fun. What the hey? Well, for all of the rumors, plus news, information, opinion, and much more about the Philadelphia Phillies, go to philliesnation.com. We have our offseason overviews up now. We talk about what is available in the pitching markets, also in the outfield, because the Phillies might be looking for a fourth outfielder type. And we look at the bullpen. Maybe the Phillies want one more veteran to solidify the bullpen for next year. Who is available? We go through those lists and give you the names that we think are most interesting. I will tell you right now that the Phillies are looking at one guy this offseason. It should be Chris Archer. Archer, for the Tampa Bay Rays, is a superb pitcher who has a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. He, right now, plays for a team that is not doing so well and has a penchant for getting rid of their young players early to get more prospects. There has been a lot of rumors in at least midseason last year of the Rays maybe dangling Archer for a trade. The Phillies should be interested in Chris Archer. He's young. He's got a lot of uh, uh, valuable and and team-friendly money ahead of him. The Phillies could have him for a number of years, and he'd be a perfect complement to Aaron Nola at the front of the rotation. I would love to have Chris Archer on this team. A couple other names that were out there that I also put together, like Danny Duffy, very interesting name that maybe the Phillies might be in on. What about a veteran like a Madison Bumgarner or a Matt Harvey or someone like that? Maybe more of a pipe dream and maybe more of an unlikely scenario. A lot of teams might not be wanting to get rid of players. At the end of the day, though, there are a lot of names. Garrett Cole is another one. I didn't include him, but he might be someone that'll look into. And maybe, maybe um, Yvonne Nova, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, he had a kind of a tough year last year for the Pirates, but he's someone who I think still has more potential in him. So all those names and many more are in our offseason overviews at philliesnation.com. Check them out today. Also, hey, go to philliesnation.com as more rumors come in, news, information, and much more. It's going to be an awesome offseason. A lot's going to happen. I guarantee it. Get ready with philliesnation.com. We're also on Twitter at philliesnation, Instagram at philliesnation underscore, and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. This has been the Phillies Nation podcast. So next time out, we'll get something more structured together. It won't just be me for 45 minutes talking to an hour talking. It'll be much more structured. We'll get there. We'll do it. Uh, But I wanted to get all this out there for you, for the fan. Have a happy and wonderful and peaceful Thanksgiving with your family and friends. Enjoy it. And we will talk soon. Bye-bye.